Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Echo Network's Imagine India podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Olson. At the Echo Network, we dream of the world not as it is, but as it could be. It's one of the reasons that we love the power of science and technology to shape our futures. We know that by working together, we already have all the tools we need to achieve our dreams. The Echo Network's Imagine India podcast listens to the dreams that our world's light bringers have for India and our planet. We believe that by listening to each other, we can begin to bring those many dreams together for a collective vision that can become the new reality. So let's start now. Today's guest is a law partner, a founder, a builder, a dreamer, a father, and as we know him best, the co-founder of the Initiative for Climate Action and the Bangalore Creative Circus. Mr. Adi Raghavan, welcome to our program. Hi, Shannon. Uh, Good to be here. (laughs) When I asked you how you'd like your life story to be read, you said something so beautiful that I actually have to quote you. Okay, you said, I hope that the little I am able to do can inspire people to care a little more about people, community, and the world we all live in. I'm most happy when I can do little things to brighten people's lives, and I hope that people remember me for that. You know, from the first moment I met you, Ade, that passion and that empathy has really shown through to me. And I I know that passion has actually driven you from being a full-time senior partner at one of India's leading law firms to working with the Initiative for Climate Action, the ICA, and the BCC, the Bangalore Creative Circus. So I want to ask you, where where did this passion come from? What what inspired you to step back from an incredibly successful career and work on something as difficult and as honestly challenging as climate action? I, I can't imagine this was an easy decision for you or for your family. Thanks, Shannon. Firstly, thank you for that really warm welcome. Um, always lo- lovely to speak to you. Um, I don't know if if um, if it's been sort of of something I've always thought of in life, but at least for me, uh, my interest in the environment was a little bit of a uh, an aha moment. It, mm. It's necessarily something that that I've thought through all my life. But uh, I think a couple of years ago, it, while I was still uh, with my legal practice, um, I used to sort of, of manage uh, large. Uh, employment practice at the firm, and, and one fine day, I was picking up, sitting in office, and uh, YouTube, for some reason, gave me a notification that there was uh, an interested or interesting uh, documentary around climate change that was mm. doing for one day, and I had some time in the day, uh, and it was called uh, "Before the Flood," um, and uh, yes. literally by chance, uh, I sat and watched it, and, and for me, I think it just. Um, I don't know. It just said something in my head that uh, I don't think I can ever unchange. Uh, it it made me think about things that I hadn't till that point thought about. I, I guess in in a nutshell, that's what inspired me to to start this. And then uh, I think ever since I've just just been supremely sort of interested in 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 the issue and and trying to understand what I could do. About it. Mm. 
How do you feel that your your work and your training has helped you with what you're doing with the ICA and the BCC? That's an interesting one. I mean, when when I uh, was at my law firm, I think I assumed that everything I had learned within the law uh, would be quite useless once I left the law and tried to work uh, on this holistic idea of climate action. Uh, but actually, the contrary happened. I think my my training in the law um, gave me the ability, the networks, uh, the the access um, to various things that uh, I think today have become a big leverage in, in the way I've done it. I think one is just the fact that I'm always keen to to understand things fully. Uh, the law taught me uh, just through my training to to do t- deep research in anything I did. Uh, it also told me or, or taught me to be very, very pragmatic about uh, sort of things that, that I did with life, with people I worked with. Uh, and I think that combination of just sort of, of deep research and trying to be as pragmatic in its application, uh, mm-hmm. I, have, um, that combination has helped me understand uh, how to respond, uh, not just to climate change as, 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 a, as, a, as an issue, but more importantly, I think in terms of how to act around climate action. So how do you actually get involved in doing something about it? I think I was, this training in the law perhaps uh, allowed for me to appreciate it better than I guess some other people. And thinking about that, so what, what do you see are the greatest challenges that we currently face with climate action in India? I think that that to me, um, and this this again was something that perhaps I learned through the process of going out and trying to understand a little more about what was happening on the ground is that I assumed in the beginning that a lot of the problems we talk talk about in the context of climate change and climate action, uh, most people think about it as at least I did as we didn't we haven't sort of come up with solutions yet, uh, mm-hmm. and what we need to do is go out and find solutions. But I think the opposite happened with me. I think that. The answers to pretty much all of the problems that we talk about today uh, in many ways already exist. I think what doesn't or hasn't existed for a considerable period of time was uh, the fact that we needed a lot more people to acknowledge that these things were happening, to accept the science. Uh, and I, I think to be able to respond in a way that uh, really could be effective. And, and for me, one way that it, that it can be effective is for lots of people to come together. Right? I, I mean, I, we often see climate change or climate action as as one other type of thing that's happening in, in, in the world. But I think it's so interconnected to pretty much every single aspect of our life. And I think that's uh, perhaps key. The, the idea that we need to collaborate a lot more, that we need to be a lot more efficient about how we work, and that we need to take everyone along. I think that's that's a really important sort of, of, of principle that I would least could you maybe tell some of our listeners some some things that that you're really excited about um, that that are you know that we could really start doing today? I think the the, the first big learning that I had was that uh, sustainability itself uh, or climate action is really a multitude of different things that really need to come together in a, in, in a reasonably sort of, of intricate way for it to to really mean something. And um, so as far as inspiration is concerned and things we do at BCC today, we try and sort of, of put all of that together in one sort of physical space. We call it an urban living lab. Uh, and mm-hmm. the idea of the laboratory itself, in a sense, is to 
really show people how connected all of these different systems are. So how our water sort of, of impacts the food we eat, how the food we eat impacts the health we have, uh, how it also impacts the waste that, that we sort of put out, how that waste can then be sort of used in something else, how we can grow different types of things, how we can look at uh, sort of solutions more creatively today. Uh, so we, we we try and sort of, of recognize all of those things. And, and in order to really demonstrate that to people, we, we go with this broader idea of saying, what's the problem? What's the solution? And how can people access? But also, as you say, I mean, I, I think a lot of the information that we get all over the world about climate change is about the crisis. But I think the problem is, is it doesn't get coupled with the action and the inspiration on how to actually change and how to make things better. So I, I, I'm so deeply appreciative of the work that, that you're, you're doing to, to really instill that inspiration. Um, and I know that you're also on the board of Dream a Dream, which works with children from vulnerable backgrounds and also inspires them. And you mentioned to me that children are hugely inspirational to you and have a, had a huge influence on your life. So I'd like to ask you, who is Iktara? Um, so Iktara is my daughter. She's 10 years old. Um, and, and I think that it's a combination of, of having her in my life. And I think the, the time I continue to spend with, with children, I've always um, found more than anything, I think what inspires me about children is the simplicity. I feel like the way they see the world, uh, mm-hmm. how sort of, of, of how, how easy it is uh, to have conversations with them, how uh, positive they are about most things, uh, how much they smile, how much they laugh. And I think just to see that the future of the world is really in, in the hands of these people that I'm surrounded with, uh, I'm inspired to try and do everything I can to make it uh, better and easier for, for them. I, I, I hope that they don't turn out to be the adults that uh, many of us have. Uh, and I'm hoping that by allowing for them to to have slightly different journeys and pathways from the ones that many of us inherited uh, will uh, then sort of create uh, hopefully a better world for everyone in, in future, which is why I think more, more and more we need to focus on sort of allowing for younger people to, to look at what is coming their way in a slightly more positive manner uh, in the way you suggested. And very often doing that without necessarily scaring people. I think you're, you're right, a lot of the communication, a lot of what's happening around the world uh, with climate change and, and what's coming our way is dark and dreary, and I think mm-hmm. that it is. It's um, it does make them very vulnerable to the future. It also makes their sort of capacity to to grow up uh, to be positive people. I think uh, you're seeing a lot more troubled childhoods on account of of things like climate, and, and the hope is that by actually responding uh, with a sense of optimism, by actually showing people that these pathways do exist, uh, by allowing for them to engage at the right time, which I think is absolutely right. I think every child really needs to start understanding and engaging with what is, what is in, in a sense, already their future, uh, I think is something that is critical. And I definitely think we need a lot more to be sort of, of, uh, of time and effort to go behind. I agree. Now, we've talked about people and we've talked about the solution. But the one entity we haven't talked about up until now is actually the environment itself. So I'm going to ask you a very simple question, which is a very complicated answer, I imagine, which is 
Does our environment have legal rights? <laughs> That's a lucky one. Um, yes, so so it's it's um, there's a lot of new law that is going out in, in a lot of sort of people who are starting to argue that uh, that even inanimate objects to some extent or what we call inanimate objects have rights. And I think increasingly today with what's happening across the planet and how important, uh, at least how important science is telling us these different sort of, of systems are, uh, whether it's when we look at a river, very often we just see it as, as a body of water, but I think the law has established that it's a lot more than that, that mm. it actually has life, uh, it provides life, uh, it, it, it does so much more for everything on, on, on the planet, including to human beings, uh, than we uh, sort of otherwise imagine. And I think these rights are finally getting fleshed out today. So it may not be so obvious to, to us, but if you look at traditional culture, when you look at of people who who lived this land uh, years before we have, all of them did recognize these rights. Uh, many of their everyday practices around the way that they sort of respected nature, to the way they sort of, as a community, shared resources, to the way they treated uh, the world, came from this idea that these things needed to be respected and were were sort of formed part of 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 a very integral part of our lives. I think what's happened is it's I, I think a lot more of of this exploitation or non-recognition of rights is really sort of a very new age sort of mm -hmm. um, So yeah, I, I think we've got enough just in our own history to to dig up and, and demonstrate that this is not just something that, that we need to do in future, but we've done it in the past and we need to continue to safeguard it in the way that, that our ancestors, I guess, uh, in many ways. I love that you brought up this aspect of traditional knowledge, how the uh, the communities really perceived the natural their natural resources and how they dealt with them from a community and engagement standpoint of people. I think this is such an important point you bring up. Uh, so I'd I'd like now to ask you the three questions that are at the heart of our program, which is actually about your dreams. So first. I'd like you to close your eyes and to imagine the India 10 years from now, 2032, that you dream of. And tell me what it, what it looks like to you or what do you hope it's going to look like? If I could almost sort of downsize that idea of, of India into, say, the context of a city, because I think a big part of whether we like it or not, it's, it's not the favorite imagination, but certainly... Uh, the truth of, of, of a lot of what the science and, and, and economics is telling us is that a lot of India is really going to be, in, in the future, are going to be based out of cities. In, in my imagination, I would see uh, the city of Bangalore or, or, or this sort of place uh, that uh, hopefully uh, will be, in my imagination, uh, this, this new city of Bangalore. We're, we're growing at a pace of almost uh, 100%. So by 2032, if if I get your question right, we're likely to be yes. all, at almost two crore people. That's, the, that's wow. likely over double the size we are today. So wow. this imagination, the city is much larger. Um, but it's also, I think, in my head, uh, a much more thriving city. Uh, there's abundance. Um, I'm hoping that everything we do from now to then uh, takes many, many people in the city along. Um, and it's not just the city of 
of, of the elite. We're able to recognize how crucial it is that uh, every single person or citizen of, of, of this particular city uh, has the ability to dream, has the ability to thrive. Uh, so in, in in that imagination, I would I, I'd actually see lots of this this these lines between sort of a city, rural, forest blur. I'd like to see all of it sort of come together in one place. I'd like to see hmm. communities that um, have have connected at a very very sort of localized level. Uh, there's a lot of of resilience. Uh, we're able to have the capacity to build, I guess, livelihoods that are surrounded by this idea of well-being um, and just sort of see lots of happy people. So if I could wave a magic wand and give you any anything resources existing or maybe not yet existing to make that Bangalore happen, what would you do? I would uh, hope there's lots and lots of, of resources to to, to allow for, for this uh, dream to come alive. And when I say resources, I think we need, we need uh, a lot more money that is sort of, of, of uh, based behind this. We need a lot more uh, interest and activity from the government. We need them to sort of get very involved in this. Uh, we need businesses and citizens to sort of get involved. Just having uh, the luxury of having everyone participate in this journey and offer everything they can, to me, would be the greatest sort of, of resource offering that I could ask. And now tell me at least one thing that you or ICA or the BCC are doing to make that dream happen. Um, so yeah, so we, we literally tried to, I mean, this for us, this dream is, is a dream of, of Bangalore in 2030. Uh, and when I say us, it's a combination of of various sort of, of individuals and organizations. I think that uh, you, you sort of alluded to the uh, initiative for climate action uh, where a lot of this is housed, but, uh, but the ICA itself is all about how do you collaborate to make things happen. So we are sort of engaging with, with, uh, with Bangalore Creative Circus. We're engaging with a group called the Flourishing Bengaluru Collective. Uh, we're engaging with, with uh, organizations uh, like the Echo Network and, and many out there, to really see how we can sort of build this participatory sort of process of, of being able to build the future. And a lot of it is housed in this idea of saying, can we first build a certain type of prototype around this? So can we actually create this imagination very quickly? And we're trying to do this through the idea of, of, of uh, a climate lab. Um, the intention being, how do we take an area uh, within, say, the city of Bangalore, and, and we've taken uh, at least a couple of wards. And, and, and the idea is to say that if we can really demonstrate one, of course, what people see as the complexity of climate, but really sort of, of bring it down into very accessible um, sort of designed elements. So the interconnection between energy, water, waste, uh, sort of, of uh, justice, vulnerability, education, healthcare, all of these things, we know all of these are crucial in our ability to build both sort of adaptation and resilience. And, and in a sense where what we're trying to do is to say that if we can actually, over a short period of time, which is the next two, two or three years, demonstrate what would happen if all of these systems really started to come together efficiently, uh, we believe that that can then give us 
the imagination and the tools that we would need to then scale it to the rest of the city. There is an, an going to be now a, a fairly ambitious attempt to, to roll this out in a much more significant manner where we'd like to work with 50,000 people uh, in, in one ward in the city and actually demonstrate how these systems really work. Ajay, it's been an immense joy to speak with you today. And I'm, I'm just truly excited and grateful that India has such an empathic and passionate leader like yourself who will be able to turn our visions into reality for India's climate action and, and Bangalore in, in, in specific. And this gives me and I think all of us hope that the dreams you envisioned with us today will truly be realized for all of us. So I'd really like to thank you for participating in our conversation today. I'd just like to sort of offer a massive round of, of thank you uh, to you personally and the Echo Network. I think I've, <laughs> I've said this to you all before. I've, I've been hugely inspired by, by you and, and the work that you all collectively do. Um, I haven't seen to me science-based organizations try uh, sort of, of many of the things that you currently are, are at the Echo Network are doing. So just want to sort of, of thank you, say I'm, I'm amongst your biggest fans and I'm really, really sort of hopeful that the work that you all do continues to do to sort of, 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 of uh, be as relevant and as engaging as it always is. So thank you so much. For oh, thank you. And to all our listeners out there, if you are interested in the work Ajay and the ICA or the BCC is doing, or would like to contact him for more information, you can, of course, go to their website, but you can also write to us at the Echo Network at info at echonetwork.in and we'll connect you to them. So thank you, Ajay, and thank you to all our listeners again this month for being with us. And we hope you'll tune in again next month when we share more dreams for India and the world. And until then, we wish you love and hope and keep dreaming. Bye, everybody. 